That's awesome. You can be seated. As you're being seated, let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Revelation. I'm getting a clock that works, okay? So, not that that really matters, but I'm getting one anyway. So, uh, <clears throat> I was reading uh, history the other uh, Revelation chapter 20, uh, and I'll begin reading in just a moment in uh, chapter chapter 20, verse 4. We're going to be in several places in the scriptures today. I, I really want to finish. Um, Obviously, I'm not going to finish every verse, but we're going to hit the high points this morning about the end of the book of Revelation. We're talk a little bit about the thousand-year reign and, and then the, the, the rebellion and then the new heaven and the new earth. <clears throat> but before I do that, I, I was uh, reading, I don't know where I was reading it, but uh, in some of my notebooks or something, and I do remember reading this in the past, but in, uh, when, the, when the, the Puritans and the pilgrims came or pilgrims came to America they were very committed to the scriptures and uh, you know not, not not every one of them that came here was saved and not everybody that was a pilgrim was saved but if you study history one of the interesting things that were passed in the, I want to say it was the Massachusetts Bay Colony I still think it was called the Massachusetts Bay Colony it might have just been called Massachusetts Colony by then but anyway in 1647 and this is where public schools come from by the way Massachusetts said they started, they, they passed a law called the Old Deluders Act of 1647. Now, who is the deluder? Satan, right? And in, so they, they call it the, the Old Deluders Act of 1647. And, and this is what they said, summary, that in, in the little, direct, in the little uh, description, it says, because Satan is such a deluder and a deceiver, we need to start public schools when there's at least 50 families in a city. We need to start a public school where scriptures can be taught and read to prevent our children from being deluded by the tools of Satan. That's basically the premise of what the Deluder Act said. Now think about that. That's 1647. Folks, that is still true. Now, I know that's not going to happen in a public school today. It's sad, but it's true. That's not going to happen in a public school. But it's still true for me and you. If we are going to take a stand against the, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, against the many wiles of the devil, the only offensive weapon we have is God's Word. And then the defensive weapons, we need to put on the whole armor of God. So, so we need to be committed to the Word of God. And, and folks, whether we're studying the book of Revelation or whether we're going to, to study the book of Genesis or whether we're in their pastoral epistles, I want you to know God's Word, God's Word matters. Many of you don't know, some of you know this, but many of you do not, but Diane cuts hair. Now, she doesn't do it for a living. She just does it for friends. She used to do it for a living years and years ago. And she cuts your hair, some, some of you in here, six or eight people in here, she cuts your hair. And uh, she cuts my hair, it's why it looks so good. But Diane, she's not in here, is she? Okay. Diane overcommits. Okay. Uh, I'm not saying this to leave her alone. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying she overcommits. By the way, she's always getting sick because she does that. She'll wear herself out and get bronchitis and get a sinus infection. Anyway, so... 
this happens, I'm not going to look at the people, this happens to Some of you, and we even have relatives that will show up at the house, and they'll knock on the front door, and she'll, she might not even be home, and she'll say, so I'll go to the front door. And you know what they're there for? A haircut. And Diane may be in Montgomery somewhere. And so she does that all the time because uh, she, she, uh, she needs a, rem- a reminder. She, we, we have two calendars, but that doesn't matter. But she's, she's overcommitted, uh, and she forgets her commitments. And I remember the other day we had a, uh, our, we had a brother-in-law that showed up, and, and, and he, he, he came a pretty good distance, 30 miles, to get a haircut. And Diane had no idea that he was coming, and it was a mess. But she was unprepared. I want us to be prepared, and we're going to be prepared by studying, studying God's Word. Now, before I read this, I, I'm going to kind of bend your mind a little bit about where we are in history. Um, we, our, our world, not just our nation, our world is more wicked and more spiritually perverted than in the history of man. Technology has been a blessing, but technology is a curse. And in 2 Thessalonians, I'm going to paraphrase some stuff, but I want you to think with me. 2 Thessalonians says that, that when everything comes to an end, it's going to come to an end because God's going to remove His hand of restraint. Matter of fact, it calls the restrainer will be removed. Okay, and then then Satan will come and do his final work through the Antichrist. But until the restrainer is removed, you know he, the Holy Spirit and the work of the church restrains evil. As wicked as it is, it's going to be worse one day. We've been reading about that for a year. It's going to be much worse in a, in a day in the future. But thinking about this restrainer, uh, and I don't know if y'all remember this little story I told you, but three years ago I went to a conference, a prophecy conference, and one of the speakers talked about, some of you love for me to talk about this, the Skinwalker Ranch. You with me? Okay. And some of you, I, I gave you enough information, you went and read it. You, you, some of you can talk to me about it. You've looked it up and and there's even a show now about the Skinwalker Ranch. But I, I want to show, tell you one of the stories that... Now, now, this guy sharing this is a world-renowned reporter, okay? And he spent months with the military. This is back when the military had, had you know, professors and, and strategists on this trying to figure out where this power was coming from. They, wanted to, they, want to, they still want to. They want to harness this power because it's... A, it's an incredible amount of power that, that, that is displayed on Skinwalker Ranch, most of it evil. Well, this, one of the families that had stayed there, and I, there is a point about this I want you to see, and this is where I think our nation is and the world is. One of the things they said this family kept dealing with was orbs, little orbs. Sometimes the orbs would be small, the size of a basketball, sometimes the size of a softball, but sometimes they would be very big orbs just circular orbs that would be floating through space through the sky you know they would look out across the land acres and acres and up against the tree line they would see these orbs appear now and sometimes those orbs would chase people and sometimes after it chased them they would get sick but the most unusual orb was a certain color i can't remember what color they said it was 
And this happened more than once. But the orb, this still happens there, by the way. They just won't tell you. The orb would start expanding. And all of a sudden, again, I'm going to tell you, this is a nationally known reporter telling us this, okay? I'm in a room with 5,000 preachers when he says this. That orb gets big, bigger, bigger. And all of a sudden, as, as this family's looking at that orb, two hands grab from like it's on the other side of this orb, sticks its hands through, and it opens up this orb. It's not a human being. It's some kind of entity. And they watch as the entity opens up the orb and dives through and stands up in this plane. You know, with, it's called a dimension. Now he's come from one dimension to another. And then they said that that, that, that entity then would run off and then disappear. Now, that's one of the most bizarre things I've ever heard in my life, right? Scared me to death. Room full of preachers, it, that is bizarre. That's about as, but what I want you to understand is we live in, there's a spiritual dimension. And there's a dimension there. Now, I've never seen anything like that. I don't want to see anything like that. But just because I don't want to see it and I've never seen it doesn't mean it's not there. There's a spiritual dimension, an evil spiritual dimension that you and I are doing battle with. It's an unseen realm. And thank God that the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel, the Holy Spirit, and the work of the church restrains a lot of what's going on. But, but theologians that study this see, they think that there's this that the line is getting thinner and thinner and thinner, and more of those kinds of things are happening worldwide. Not all the time, not in every city, not every day, but those kinds of things are happening. Folks, we, we are in the midst of a spiritual warfare. There's a dimension that we cannot see, but that is just as real as you and I that are standing here. And when you read the Bible and you see some of these things that happen to me and you, when we're resurrected, when we're it's because there's a whole other dimension. The Bible says, when we see Him, First uh, John, First John three says, when we see Him, we will be like Him. Now, how does that happen? Because there's another dimension, and when we've been released from our sin and from this body, the Bible calls it the body of sin, oh, this this physical body, and when we see Him, there's a whole other dimension out there that we're going to be transformed in the image of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of world that we're living in. Let me tell you something else I read this week. Many of you have read, read this stuff. There's a camera now. I, 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 that, and again, I'm not tech. I have no technology skills. These guys know that. I, I can't even, I can look up my email. I can't do much else on the computer. But there's a camera. I was reading an article yesterday. A camera the size of a piece of sand, a sand, grain of sand. And they, they're talking about that this camera has... I, don't, I can't even fathom that. But we're living in a world. I read the article. A professor from Princeton was writing the article. It's true. He wasn't making it up. There's a camera the size of a grain of sand. And he said one of the great things about this camera, as they're still trying to, to master how to control it, is it, it, can, it can explore the human body. But it can explore machines. It can explore robots because it's just the size of a piece of sand. And it said it has, it, it has 
a better picture quality than something a million times larger than it is. It's just this new, new technology that they've come up with. And I was thinking about that, that a, a camera the size of a piece of a, a grain of sand. But that's the world. That's the world we're living in. I was also, that's the world we live in. I just want you to think about the world, this, the transit, the dimension, the spiritual dimensions that we're living in, the changing of that. I, I see that. The technology that's advancing, but also this is something you'll be aware of too. But I was reading that, uh, now this is just more practical, that, but it's the world we live in. The, the First Amendment has been in the world, in the, in the country that you and I live in. Now this is true in other countries as well. For instance, like Twitter, uh, I was reading an article about the guy that was the CEO, I think, Jack Dorsey, resigned. And, but anyway, it was talked about this tech giant, and it says that they have and they will continue to abandon the First Amendment. They have and they will continue to abandon the First Amendment, free speech. Rather, their whole goal is to shape the conversation. And they, they've done that. If they're shaping the conversation and they've done that, they're shaping truth. Not real truth, but they're shaping the truth people hear. And folks, I say all those things to say that's the world that we're living in. Put another way, we're living in the last days. Those three things, when you were living in the first century, could you imagine somebody talking? Even if you think I'm half crazy for mentioning those three things, can you imagine hearing about any of that in the first century? and it being close to the truth or close to reality, folks, those things are reality in the world because we're living in the last days. I want to show you. Go to Revelation chapter 20. This is, and again, I've been gone a week, and so I just want to catch up just a little bit, but this is, you know, after, after the tribulation of those days, the end, the battle of Armageddon, we've talked a lot about that, when you come down to chapter 20, it's the description of the thousand-year reign. Now, I think six times, I didn't count them all today, but I want to say my memory says six times the number of thousand appears. We call it the millennium, millennial reign, the thousand-year reign. So if, if the Bible says in just one chapter that Christ is going to reign for a thousand years. Do you know what I believe? Say it. Christ is going to reign for a thousand years. A, Robbie read a scripture. He did this two weeks ago for me. He read a scripture out of Zechariah. He read one out of Daniel today. Daniel 7, and there's, you can read, there's a bunch of it there. Daniel 7, 13 and 14 is not talking about Christ's first coming because it's talking about the Son of Man reigning and controlling the world being the world ruler, ruling the nations. Well, that's going to happen the second time he comes back, right? And I remember I told you that eight, <clears throat> if a verse talks about him coming the first time, we're going to celebrate it. We're, we're in the midst of celebrating his birth, right? And I love Christmas. I love the hymns we sing. <clears throat> it's just wonderful. fantastic. I love the Christmas season. But every time a verse talks about this coming, there's eight more verses that are going to talk about him coming a second time to rule the world. And we're going to rule with him, the Bible says. We're, folks, we're part of a kingdom that does not end. And we're making preparations now to rule with Christ for a thousand years. So that's the context of Revelation chapter 20. I just want to read part of it, and then we're going to do some 
kind of some biblical gymnastics, if you don't mind. <clears throat> this is Revelation 20, verse 4. Uh, of course, he's bound Satan for a thousand years. Uh, also, remember, the, the, he's already bound the, the Antichrist and the false prophet. They've been bound and put into the lake of fire. But anyway, so it says, Then I saw thrones... I saw thrones. And that, now, folks, I want, part of our theology and part of the battle of angels, one of the reasons we think Satan, it's just me and some scholars, one of the reasons Satan rebelled was I really think Satan thought as the top angel for, for God that when God put man on this earth that that the highest-ranking angel would rule the world. But rather, God didn't do that. He gave authority to mankind to be their own ruler. And that, people talk about how Satan probably was offended by that. But So there's thrones. And folks, these thrones doesn't seem to have angels on them. These thrones aren't for angels. I think these thrones are for, for Christians, for believers that have been faithful. Well, it says, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. You find that all throughout the Old Testament. I mean, Moses, when Moses led the children of Israel, he had the judges. I mean, he, he had people that judged with him. And, and that, this is that same picture. So we're in heaven for a thousand years, and there's thrones, and seated on these thrones are certain people with the authority to judge. What that judgment was committed also... I saw the souls of those that had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. Now, when did that happen? During the tribulation, okay? <clears throat> so during the tribulation, he's speaking. So he sees thrones and people ruling on those thrones. So then he sees another group of people. And these are those, the souls of those that had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast. This is why you know they come out of the great tribulation. Those that had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their forehead or on their hands. So remember, there's, this is another affirmation, and it is true. If you take the mark of the beast, you go to hell. Okay? It's, you're pledging allegiance to the Antichrist, which ultimately you're pledging allegiance to Satan, and you cannot be saved, you will not be saved. You are condemned to hell the moment you take it's a matter of worship. It's a matter of loyalty. So, so here it says the, these individuals, those souls that were slain during the tribulation, they did not take the mark. It says they came to life, and guess what they did? And they reigned with Christ for how long? For a thousand years. So the church, the saints of, of the New Testament, the saints that are saved during the tribulation, they're all resurrected and they reign with Christ. And it says the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. And so, so the first resurrection is what Paul's, what, I mean, what the book of John's been describing. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God. Now, again, it's talked about all of us. They will be priests of God and of Christ 
and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So I want you to know that my sal- the moment I got, well, really an eternity passed, but when I experienced salvation as a 16-year-old, I became part of God's kingdom. And the finality of that kingdom is I one day will reign with Christ for a thousand years. And so will everybody who's ever been saved by the power of Christ. Christ is going to reign on this earth for a thousand years and we're going to reign with Him. He's, uh, the holy city is going to come down, the new Jerusalem where our mansions are. All those things are going to take place. The Bible promises us this is what's going to happen. And it says, verse 7, when the thousand years are ended. Now this is an odd thing. And we could spend forever talking about all this, but I just want to cover it because and, and, I need to move on. But when the thousand years are ended, so the thousand years comes to an end. Now, this may seem odd to you. There is a, there's a biblical logic to this, but it does seem a little weird. Satan will be released from his prison and he will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather this another military area that's going to come again against God. I think they're going to kill God or, or dethrone Jesus. To gather them for battle, <clears throat> their number is like the sand of the sea. So, so Satan, after a thousand years of perfection, now let me remind you what's going on here. There are those of us that have been glorified. We, we've been raised from the dead, given the new bodies. Our sin nature's gone. We're living in perfection. We're reigning with Christ for that thousand years. This isn't about us. But on the earth, this is why Jesus says in Matthew 24 that if the tribulation had lasted much longer, remember I talked about that a couple weeks ago, the days were cut short. There would be no flesh left on the earth. There's going to be human beings that are saved that stay on earth. During the thousand-year reign, there'll be human beings. There'll be nations and people that have been saved in every nation, every ethnic group across the world. That's the world Christ is going to rule. That's the world that we're going to rule with Him. Well, these people have never been transformed. They've never been glorified. So these, these individuals that that populate the thousand-year reign, not me and you, not those of us that are saved and glorified, not those of us that have been raptured or you know, to be absent in the body, to be present with Christ, not that group of people, but the people that populate the thousand-year reign. They're in, they're in human form. They're still descendants of the first Adam. Well, they're still sinners. That's why the Bible says Christ will rule with a rod of iron. And so if they're sinners and they have children... Guess what those children are? Sinners. Yet there's going to be perfection. Now, it doesn't mean they're all going to be perfect. That's not it. But, but righteousness will rule. There won't, be, there won't be a thief that's not punished. You with me? There won't, be, there won't be anarchy. There won't be wars. There won't be venomous snakes. It's going to be perfect on the earth. But people, those people will sin because they're still in the flesh. But Christ will rule with a rod of iron. And, and the Bible says we will rule with him. So... We will control, we will help Christ control the sin of the world. But all of a sudden, after a thousand years, the Bible says Satan is released for a short season. And as we just read, there's this massive rebellion that comes against the the Lord Jesus Christ and the beloved city. Somehow, 
there's an army gathers together because of Satan's deception and they think they can overthrow the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and of course, they, don't, they can't accomplish that. They surround the camp of the saints and the beloved city and then what does it say? But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire. Look, look right here. Look at your Bibles. Look at your so they have this rebellion. Now this is at the end of the thousand year reign. Satan's released. There's a huge rebellion. So after a thousand years, there's a population of the earth be millions and millions of people. Some of those people will want to rebel against the reign of Christ. That tells you how bad the sin nature is. You with me? These people have lived a thousand years or have been in a world that where Christ has ruled for a thousand years and we've reigned with him. But given the opportunity and Satan's deception, there will be people who rebel against Christ. That tells you how wicked the sin nature is. That tells you how wicked the sin nature is right now. So they rebel and, and then the fire comes down from heaven and consumes them. And then it tells us about a summary. John's just summarizing the end of days. And the devil who had deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire. By the way, the lake of fire is the second death, okay? But look what it says. The devil, people that want to say, well, we believe in, I'll paraphrase this, we believe in, some people believe in, in being annihilationism. You, I don't want to believe in hell, but, but you have to believe in hell because Jesus taught, said hell was true, right? Uh, hell the 11, 12 times hell's mentioned, Jesus teaches about it 11 times. So I think Jesus knows what he's talking about. So hell is a literal hell. You, you, part of you don't want it to be true, but it's true. People without Christ go to hell. So here it says that the devil is casting, and it's where you go from hell, and then you go into the lake of fire. So hell's like hell 101, and then the lake of fire is the final hell. So it says... And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire uh, and sulfur. Look, look what, and who's, who's been there? Look, what does it say? You can say where the who and the false prophet were. Now, if you read earlier, you find out when they were thrown into the lake of fire a thousand years earlier. Now, I just want you to think with me. People that promote annihilationism, what I'm saying is if there's a fire that's burning in their mind, they want to think that eventually whoever goes to hell will just dissipate and will no longer exist. You with me? Called annihilationism. Just basically they'll be annihilated, right? They won't exist anymore. They have a problem with this, with this passage, because after a thousand years, guess who's still in hell? The Antichrist and the false prophets. And along with everybody else that's, that has not been saved and rejected Jesus Christ. So it says, and, and so the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire with sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now let's, let me read this. And, and then I saw a great white throne. And him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away. And no place was found for them. And... And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. You're talking about a courtroom scene. I, I've been to court a few times. I've testified a couple of times. I've been there to watch. Just a, a, a courtroom controlled by sinners is an intimidating experience. It's intimidating. It's supposed to be. It's gut-wrenching. 
This is the courtroom scene. This is God Almighty. This is the Lord Jesus Christ who knows everything, judging sinners for their sin. Remember the great white thrones, not for saved people. It's for lost people. And, and it reminds us that there's books, and there's books because God has recorded every sin of action, of mind, of thought, of intent. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And guess what? Their name's not in the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, not in the book. The book is the book of life. Their name's not in the book of life. Their name's in the books. Because Jesus is not their Savior. He's not their Redeemer. They did not come to repentance and trust Him. And so now they're going to give a rec- They're going to pay back God for their sin. And, and they've been storing up sin all this time according to to what they had done. And the sea, it's just telling you everybody, and the sea gave up the dead. There's everybody, it, every person who's ever lived is going to stand before God in judgment. And of course, we believe there's, there's, that God saves the innocent, so the Bible says. But, but the sea gave up the dead and <clears throat> that were in it. And. Uh, and they were judged, and each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. It's also called the book of the Lamb, the Lamb's book of life. But if their name is not found written in the book of life, They were thrown into the lake of fire. That is everybody who has never been saved. They're thrown into the lake of fire. And, of course, you can argue for levels of judgment in hell because obviously there's books that record the evil. So Hitler may have a different place to stay than than some aboriginal tribesman who was lost but, you know, didn't murder people. You know, so, so there are, seems to be that there's levels there. So after this judgment, after the great white throne judgment, then the Bible says that God's going to make everything new, okay? Because you, you had a thousand years of earthly perfection, but there was a, a, a rebellion, and it was tainted. So what's God going to do? Then you go to chapter 21, and that's where he makes a new heaven and a new earth, okay? Now, it doesn't tell us a lot about the new heaven and the new earth. It doesn't explain a lot about that. So let me just read a couple of verses and then we're going to do some, uh, well, we don't have a whole lot of time to do some cross-referencing. But then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, let me remind you that this new Jerusalem... And we read it, but it's been six months ago we read the passage where it describes the, the city, the holy city, this, this city where your, the Bible says your dwelling place is. Like, I mean, you don't have to have sleep, but maybe where you go and stay I, when you're not serving the Lord Jesus somewhere in the universe. It's a 1,500-mile cubed. You can read about it, 1,500 miles cubed, basically is what it describes. You're talking about width, height, 
in depth, 1,500 miles. And, and it's in that, and it's the holy city, you're, the, the, the New Jerusalem contains this, this dwelling place. And so it seems to be that after this judgment, the, the New Jerusalem descends. And, and, and whether it hovers over the earth or comes down and sits on Jerusalem, um, I'm not real sure, but, but it says, And I saw the holy city of New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. This is the New Jerusalem. This is not the Jerusalem that's on this earth right now. It coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Don't forget, we don't have time to talk about it, but don't forget that we are the bride of Christ. Folks, the, to me, the most intimate, the most assuring, the most convicting image of my and your relationship to Christ is being his bride. And Paul mentions this in one of his epistles that he says he wants us to be a pure virgin bride. He wants us to be presented to the Father as a pure virgin bride. We are the bride of Christ. It's a great picture there. But here it's saying that this, this new Jerusalem is like a, a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And again, notice when this happens. Notice when this happens. You with me? Because we quote this a lot of times and we don't know where it appears. You with me? You, you've heard this verse a bunch of times, haven't you? Right? And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Right? When is this happening? Now, we're glorified, but let me tell you, I don't know if that applies to the glorified saints. I would assume it does not. But to those who were, that were just transitioned from the thousand-year reign into the new heaven and the new earth, it might do that. I'm not sure who it applies to. You don't know if in a glorified body, if you're going to weep. I'm not sure about that, but we move on. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Amen? Now, if you have your Bibles, go with me. I know I'm out of time. Go with me to Matthew 24. Tell you what, don't go to Matthew 24. Go to Luke. Go to Luke's gospel. Go to Luke. Go to Luke 17, and we'll finish with this. I encourage you to go Luke chapter 17. Go back and read the book of Revelation. I mean, it'll take you um, an hour, a little bit longer than an hour to read through it from beginning to end and get the context of it. John, uh, Luke, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 17. And we'll finish with this. Um, I'm picking up Luke 17. Verse 22, and he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. The saying is when Christ comes, there's going to be no, no question it's him. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. 
But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by, the gener by, by this generation. For as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. This is also, he says the same thing in Matthew 24, 37. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And he's talking about what culture is going to be like when he comes back. So we would do well to go back and read Genesis 6. And again, we've done that and find out how wicked the world was in the flood. And the, and the spiritual deception, the corruption the angels did. The fallen angels were corrupting mankind. And this is where you get the giants from. And, and there were there other books, history books, tell us there were minotaurs and centaurs. Well, I'm saying half man, half goat. Because the fallen angels were corrupting the genetic because they were corrupting the seed of and seed of animals. But anyway, uh, so for so he says, just as it was in the days. Oh, let me. They were eating, drinking. Verse twenty-eight. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. Now, where was Lot? What city? Okay. So you have Noah and the ark. The Noah. Why God flooded the world. And now you're going to have a word picture of God destroying Sodom. By the way, they think they finally found, they think how long it's been. Uh, 3,500 years, a little bit more than when God, since God destroyed Sodom. Really almost 4,000 years. Um, and just now they're thinking they found where Sodom is. After 4,000, they found, there's nothing there. You, you can't grow anything there. But they think they found the city. Let me move on. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. Now, now, quickly, these are two word pictures that God takes the saved before he judges the world. That's, these are just little, little pictures of God taking the saved before he judges the world. Just two little word pictures. But I would be unfair to you if I didn't take you to the book of Genesis. And let me show you something real quick. Go to Genesis 19. And this is the passage about Sodom. And just be kind to me and be patient, okay? Go, go, to, go to Genesis 19. This is the summary. This is the, the Moses is writing, recording what happened to, to Sodom and Gomorrah. And I just want to show you the response to all that's gone on, okay? I'm in... Genesis 19, obviously we can find the book because it's the first book of the Bible. You can look at verse 4, it says, But before they laid down, this is the angels had come to the house and stayed with, with uh, Lot, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people, to the last man. Now, that's significant. To the last man. Do you see that in your Bible? See that? I'm in verse uh, 4. To the last man, that's important, surrounded the house. So every man in the city of Sodom surrounded the house and they called out to Lot, and we'll stop there, but they wanted to know where the men are. We want to know these men, and you know what they're talking about. Verse 9, uh, so it says, but they said, stand back, and they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. And talking about Lot tells him not to do anything. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. We're going to treat you worse than we are the angels. They didn't know they were angels. But they pressed hard against the man, 
the man Lot and, and drew near to break the door down. But the, but the men, and, and here it says the men, plural, those are the angels, okay? But the men reached out their hands and, and they brought Lot into the house. I like that picture. With them. And they shut the door and they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they were wore, wore themselves out, groping for the door. Now I want you to look at verse, uh, look at verse 14. I'm just going to read these verses kind of out of the context. Verse 14. So Lot went out and said to his son-in-laws, sons-in-law, his daughters were not married, they were engaged. Okay? They had not consummated the, the marriage. They hadn't. Okay? Because they're called his daughters, and it describes them as being his daughters. They're not married. But they're engaged. But legally, they're bound to these men. You with me? Now think with me. I'm asking you, were his two son-in-laws part of the crowd that came to his front door? You ever thought about that? It says every man. And here's why we think that, okay? So Lot went out and said to his son-in-laws, who were, who were to marry his daughters, Up! Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be what? Jesting. Do you think this is a joke? Now think about it. Even right now, sometimes in church, whatever, during my lifetime, I've met people. A lot of times they're young, young adults, young youth people. They think this is a joke. And maybe you're here today and you think this, the message of the cross and the message of hell and judgment and the tribulation, you may think it. They, listen, his son-in-laws thought he was jesting. Well, they were burned up in the fire. Folks, this, we're not playing games here. And when we, when we preach a warning and herald a warning to you about God's judgment and, and God's righteousness and the reason Christ came, it's not a joke. But I'll, so some people respond by jesting. Now, go down to, we'll finish, go down to verse uh, 15. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But what did Lot do? But he what? Now, I just want you to think about mankind. And I'm not talking about just lost people. I'm talking about me and you. So one response was to think that the message of, of judgment was a jest. It was a joke. It was a kind of a storyline. But the second problem was that, that, and you can go back to chapter 10 and discover this, or I mean chapter 13, Lot lingered because where he loved this city. He became a leader of the city. He sat at the gate of the city. He was a bigwig. People knew him. He, he, loved the, he loved the topography. Even though it's nothing but sand and dead land now, then it was a fertile crescent. So he, it says he lingered. And look, but look what the angels did. What, so the, what did the men do? Did they let him stay behind? No, they what? They seized him. So you have some that jest, some that lingers. And, and now, here, here's the worst one. Look, go down to verse, go to verse 23. It says, The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Now, okay, 
this is the, the, and he even got to pick the city. They, wanted, they said they were going to take him one place. Lot prayed for mercy and said, no, I can't go there. Take me here. And so they took him to Zoar. Look what the text says. Maybe you've never read this. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Now here's the last struggle. But, but Lot's wife was behind him. And what did she do? She looked back. Now folks, for her, this was life and death. For her, it was life and death. But I want you to know that many of us look back and we spend most of our time longing for this world than we do longing for heaven or for the kingdom of God. We keep looking back at what this world has to offer and we really need to be looking. Paul says we need to be looking up, not looking back. So you had those that jest. You have those that want to linger and hang around the world. And you have those that keep looking back. That's not God's will for God's people. Let's stand together and we dismiss. Thank you so much for your presence today. God's good, amen? Let's pray. God, it's a good day when we can sing about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, it's a good day when we can read your word and, and let the word that is sharper than a two-edged sword pierce our, our very thinking, our minds and our hearts and, and expose to us our wickedness. God, it's been a good day. Father, thank you for uh, the grace that's been bestowed on us through Jesus Christ. Father, thank you that, that you've transferred us out of judgment into life. Father, thank you that your kingdom is eternal. And Lord, thank you that one day and we're not kidding. We're not jesting. One day, we will reign with you. Lord, thank you for the victory that is ours in Christ. In his matchless name we pray. Amen.